Every day we're hustling, yet our bank accounts are suffering. We all have goals and dreams we want to accomplish, but at what point does working too much make you burn out? Is hustle culture toxic? Are we humans or are we robots? Welcome to Bitch Out of Water, a show where we talk about how the hell to survive experiencing life, relationships, jobs, and the daily hyper-capitalistic grind. We are the World Girls. I'm Norina. This is Steph. Hello, hello. This is Roxy. Are we man or are we Muppet? It is the question we continue to ask ourselves. Both, Roxy. Both. (laughs) The most existential question, indeed. Truly. Today, we're talking about burnout and hustle culture. And to help us with this topic, we have a very special guest returning to the show, Dr. Drea Letamendi. Dr. Drea is a consulting psychologist, behavioral health advisor, and coach who specializes in organizational developmental mental health education, and workplace wellness. She is a fellow with the Institute of Coaching at McLean, an affiliate of the Harvard School of Medicine, and served as the Director of Resilience at UCLA. Dr. Drea's work about the positive impacts of entertainment media on mental health has been featured in The Atlantic, The Guardian, The LA Times, Disney+. Plus. She has partnered with Warner Brothers, Fandom, a bunch of media companies to amplify and improve health consciousness, disseminate wellness practices, center authentic identities as a part of healing. In her mental health podcast, The Arkham Session celebrates and explores how pop culture can help us cope, recover, and thrive. What a freaking resume. Damn. Thank you, Dr. Drea, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. It's an honor, actually. Wow, an honor. Look at us. We love Dr. Drea. Was that McLean's in Boston? By where I'm from? Is that where the Institute is? Yeah. Oh, wow. I have so, so much to talk to you about a different time. I have so many friends who have been through McLean's before. I have I have questions for you on that. You do a lot. Wow. That's a lot on your <laughs> shoulders. Oh, my gosh. Do you do a lot? And on top of all that, you're also our very own Dr. Drew, our Dr. Drea. We love to have you. Happy to be here. Happy to be your Dr. Drew, Dr. <laughs> Drea. <laughs> We get so many good comments about the HCP episode we did with you. And and we talk about it amongst ourselves. We like reference it all the time as like a tool to better navigate our weird little worlds. But that that episode was so good. We've been so excited to have you back on. Thank you so much. I have really, I've actually returned to some of those clips and recommended people listen because I get a lot of questions about high conflict personalities and high conflict people, HCPs. And it helps to have those conversations because we're not trying to stigmatize or pathologize people. We're really just trying to work together in a better way. And having that kind of organized way of thinking and that healthy way of thinking can be incredibly helpful for people as they navigate their lives. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I think that episode is the epi- the single episode of The World Girls that I reference the most in my daily conversations where I'll be like, what you don't know is you are <laughs> dealing with an HCP. Now, let me tell you how you can deal and navigate this situation. And I, I've seriously educated because of you so many of my friends and colleagues, and it was wildly informative and extremely helpful for our day-to-day life, as I know today will be as well. It certainly made all our lives a little bit easier just knowing what and who we're dealing with. So so thanks again for being here, Drea. So as I mentioned, we are talking about burnout and hustle culture, which we are all very extremely familiar with. So Drea, how do we deal with burnout? Like, must we work all day, every day in pursuit of our professional goals until we die? Are we missing out on life while being devoted to the grind? One of the first things we should center around is this idea that all of us have a relationship to our jobs, right? Whether 
We're in social media, we're influencers, we're servers, we're in the restaurant business, where we have our own business, maybe you're a counselor or a therapist like me, whatever your job identity is, there is some emotional connection to that. And D, this is such a good starting point too, because when we get raised, there's all these like expectations and assumptions about what our job is supposed to do for us. It's supposed to be a source of income. It's supposed to, you know, help us raise ourselves and our families or provide for ourselves and our families. Rather, it is meant to be a source of purpose. And there's also this added expectation, especially in the US, that your job should have this like high level meaning for you, that it's going to be the answer to all of your like adulthood problems that you're, you're going to actualize. You're going to like reach this time where you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And those are a lot of expectations. Like that's a lot to shoulder for us. You know, let's add to a few more factors, right? Like gender, women get a lot of messages about how we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to, supposed to act, how we're supposed to dress and, and conduct ourselves in like job settings. So there's just overall a lot of stress and pressure around our job identities. And so maybe a point of positivity here is that when we look into and examine that emotional relationship, we're already doing something that's good for ourselves. We just really need to kind of lean into that rather than avoid, neglect, or just assume that like, no, I've just got to clock in and clock out. And that's, that's all I need to worry about. What is hustle culture? When you're speaking about hustle culture, what qualifies? The idea with hustle culture is that, you know, depends on a, a lot of different factors like family upbringing and family culture. But a lot of us, I think, especially who are in the workforce right now, have this or have been given messages about the justification for work and how work is supposed to be the answer for a, a lot of our identity, well-being, and personal outcomes. So hustle culture is essentially this potentially very demanding, highly toxic type of social work atmosphere that gives us pressure to continue to give of ourselves repeatedly, frequently, over you know a long period of time with the expectation that it's going to have these incredible results and that hustle culture is essentially you know i said it could be toxic because it has this element that there's this like formula the more that you work the more money you'll make the happier you'll be the happier your family will be and there's really little evidence to show that that is all true does hustle culture lead to burnout culture or is there a way in which you can hustle in a healthy way and still keep some of that culture intact? Yeah, the hustle culture is very much related to burnout. And I think a lot of folks will ask me, you know, what is this? Is this depression? Is this ADHD? Is this burnout? What's going on? And the most kind of straightforward way that I describe burnout is simply to say like, look, burnout is when you're stressed from head to toe. Burnout is not the same thing as I had a couple of rough nights or I had to take overtime or my team is missing a team member and I have to like fill in for another job for a period of time. The reason I like to say that burnout is a head to toe experience is that there's more than that physical exhaustion. So there's three things actually with burnout. There is that physical feeling of exhaustion, like just feeling overly tired all the time, not just once, but chronically. Secondly, there's a cynicism. So there's a mental, that's why I said head to toe, there's like a mental transformation that starts to take place. Negativity and cynicism about 
the job, the career landscape, you know, the, the field that you might be in, feeling neglected and just having these kind of sometimes distorted thoughts about the work. And then that third thing is a decrease in personal accomplishment. And this is really deep. This is like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not getting recognized enough. Maybe I picked the wrong field. I feel like I put in and I put in and I don't get from it what I expect to get from it. And the reason why I warn against that third element of burnout is because it can be really devastating for a person. It can lead to mental health and medical conditions. It can lead to more serious things when we have this constant feeling that we're not good enough, we're not hardworking enough, we're not worthy. And that, to answer your question, Steph, directly, that then kind of overlaps into the into this hustle culture. I want to be a part of this work. I'm willing to hustle, but I just don't feel good. And that creates this dynamic that needs to have some kind of um, support, some kind of intervention. You said something that absolutely floored me. I feel like I have been left speechless for the last minute because I'm thinking about you saying that there has been no proven correlation between the amount of time you're working and the amount of money you're making. Can you elaborate on that? Because as a freelance person, which Steph is, Darina is, I am, we run this company, but we all work for ourselves and or have been freelance for a while. I would think there would be a direct correlation between hours worked and hours paid. Well, technically, it is true that if you clock in more hours and you're paid by the hour or you're paid by your content, right? then of course there is a one-to-one -one relationship. However, the idea that if you go into your work above and beyond, if you work harder, give more quality, give more time and effort aside from what's literally an hour's worth of pay or whatever that metric is, that there is incremental success or incremental, barely noticeable increase of income. And this is fairly true. Now, a lot of studies don't look at freelance folks as much as they look at more traditional fields, medical fields, health fields, factory workers, restaurant workers, that sort of thing. But this is just to say that we need to do some work, I think, as a society in dismantling the idea that I was raised on, honestly, as a child of immigrants, like, you know, we, this is the country that's going to give you all these opportunities. And so as long as you work hard, as long as you put your time in, as long as you put your effort in, you will be successful. And in challenging that, you know, we have to realize that there are other elements that go into what we, we are calling success. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just mentioned the immigrant culture aspect, Drea. I moved here, as our audience knows, when I was 18, literally to college, to the land of opportunity right, from another country that had less opportunity. And I've seen, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there has been not just a discrepancy from, you know, the, the Reagan era till now of, about how economics has changed and how minimum wage hasn't gone up and the cost of living has gone up and all those things. But also, it does seem, as you mentioned earlier, that the U.S. does inspire and motivate younger people to kind of kill themselves and to be part of the grind to an almost unhealthy way. Uh, have you seen that comparatively to other cultures? I have. You know, what I've noticed, I work at UCLA, I work at a university, and I see a lot of young adults and emerging adults. And I'm noticing that they are identifying some of these cultural expectations and, and some of these messages 
in discerning ways that I didn't think about when I was starting my own career journey, there are, I think, some helpful and welcoming messages from early career and young people entering these careers that are kind of like transforming these fields and these job landscapes to be a little bit more meaningful and less about this hardworking idea that, you know, maybe many of us on this show or, or listening have grown up with. And I think that's almost like a generational difference that I'm noticing. And I see it too with the generation of my parents who truly and still hold the idea that if they hear me struggling or, you know, wonder like, why haven't you bought several houses and cars yet? And it's like, well, Los Angeles is expensive, but also the rent and the sort of cost of living is completely, it's unmatched. It's not relative to salaries. And that gap continues to widen and widen. And there's this reaction, I think, that young people have, which is around challenging that expectation and that sort of message that all you have to do is put more hours in or work harder to gain the attention of your supervisor or your boss when those efforts and that developed exhaustion may not actually make a huge difference. So what does make a difference, Drea? What is the recommendation if it's not about the amount of hours you're working, it's not about how much effort you're putting in, what is it about? Yeah, and I think it's multifaceted. There are lots of things, luckily, that we can think about. And I certainly am not the kind of person or coach to advise people to lean out their hours or try to work less, mainly because I think a lot of us are energized around work that we, for the most part, want to find significance and meaning in our work, that we want to have a specialty area. We want to be seen as reliable and valuable and even someone who deserves that raise, that promotion, that visible advancement. So I hope that people lean into the excitement and energy around dismantling hustle culture rather than kind of feeling like, well, we're all going to be exhausted, so we should just try to rest more. So I'll start there, which is like a huge part of this is our idea and notion about control. How much control do I actually have in my situation and how much is out of my control? And what I learned is that a lot of people actually overestimate what's out of their control. I'll have people tell me, well, I can't change my work hours or I can't change my shifts or I can't, you know, talk to my boss. And then you work through, you kind of talk through it and you realize there are some parts of that that actually are reasonably changeable or, or are within the column of things that you do have control over. And so I'll tell people like, okay, make a list of the things, just be honest, be real. What are the things that you can't control? You know, and they may say like, I can't control how much my rent is right now. Got it. Okay. What else can't you control and kind of make a list? The other set of items is like, what are the things that you can control? Again, within the context of your job identity and really work through, you know, take a day and think about like, what are the things that I can actually do to make a difference here to give myself more space, more rest, more flexibility in this era of kind of a hybrid and work from home mentality and culture. There may be some more options now than ever before. So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is boundaries. Where have you maybe loosened up your boundaries? Let people call you in the middle of the night if that's not during your shift, sent emails after hours, 
do you need to tighten up your boundaries and even let people know like, Hey, I don't answer emails on evenings or weekends or, you know, Hey, after my shift is done, you know, I kind of turn off and I don't come back on until I'm back on shift, whatever that might mean for people. And then lastly, it's state of mind. So how we think about our job identity is going to be hugely relevant to how burnt out we are. Are we confronting it in this real way and saying, you know, there are some things that I can really change here. There are some parts of this job that I really care about and it's really meaningful for me. And there are parts that really, you know, it's like difficult, it's challenging. And how can I embrace that if it's difficult and challenging, that means this work is important. I matter. I matter in this work landscape. And maybe that's something to embrace. As someone who is passionate about kind of the career path that I've chosen and I do involve a lot of my own identity in my work and I know like a lot of artists and creatives do is that a path that can be healthy or is it just about finding the balance in that or is that kind of a path that will always somehow lead to a burnout I really love this question Steph because everybody has the different relationship to their job identity there are going to be some people that will say hey you know I really only think about my job and my work when I'm on shift and I do what I'm supposed to do. I clock in, I clock out. I care about my customers or I tend to this particular need. And outside of that, I'm other things. Maybe that person is a parent or a caregiver or has another like kind of passion or a side hustle or whatever. But that's very different than maybe somebody who cannot get out of their professional identity because their personal identity is so aligned with that. And I actually do hear a lot of younger people, the early career folks that I work with, will say that's kind of what they want. They want their personal identity to be kind of, you know, involved in their job or their professional identity. They can't seem to find a difference in that. As a psychologist, I'll say like, I don't know if there's, there's maybe like five seconds out of the day that I forget that that's what I do because, you know, I'm just kind of you know, my personal identity. I don't, almost can't articulate this. My personal identity is so enmeshed with my profession and it's meaningful for me and it, it brings me my own source of self-value. And that could be true for a lot of different fields. And that's okay. So this idea that, no, you got to, you know, quietly quit your job or you have to step away from your work or this old notion of work-life balance, which is fake, not real. There's no real thing that's work-life balance. There's no real disconnect between your work and your life. This isn't severance. This isn't that show on Apple, right? Apple TV. The, you, you really are. You're at work. You're present at work in some part of you is there too. So is it not a problem unless it's a problem for you? Because similar to Steph, right now I'm in a place in my life where I am single. I have no children. I'm not neglecting any of my other things that I need to be focused on. And I love to work. Like if I was able to, I would work a hundred hour weeks every single week. I don't mind getting calls at two in the morning. I don't mind getting calls at six in the morning. I genuinely love what I do. I don't feel like that's a problem for my life. Therefore, is that not a problem? Or might it be a problem and I'm not even acknowledging in, in what ways that could be an issue? Great question. For the most part, a lot of the self-identification around burnout comes from your own evaluation 
of what you're living. And so if someone were to tell me, yeah, I kind of, I work a lot. I feel like I'm always at work. I feel like I'm always doing something toward my professional identity, but I'm not stressed out about it to the degree that I'm unhappy and other people are not coming to me and saying they're unhappy, that my work style and working style is making them unhappy. So what I'd say is that just practice that self-awareness. We call it health consciousness. Health consciousness is your own thinking about and feeling about your health. And so when we're talking about work health, how does that come across to you? What feelings come up? And so Roxy, for you, it feels fulfilling. It feels energizing. It feels right. And maybe there is some stress, but it, I hate the idea that like we're not supposed to have stress. We might have some stress related to our deadlines and the things that we're hustling around. So it really is self-evaluative as long as we're taking the time to really deeply look inward. So Drea, as the eldest world girl, I am blessed that I've had many jobs in different industries and I've experienced all the different scenarios of workaholism, you know, in music and the grind in hospitality and those really hard physical jobs and things like that. I am at a moment in my life where I'm very blessed that I love my job and I love what I do. But I do want to go back a little bit to when you're talking about these boundaries, because I did make the point to make boundaries for myself where I tell my coworkers, I am not going to work this weekend. I was not able to do that in the past to my bosses. So what recommendations do you have for people that, you know, don't have the luxury that I have right now to make my own hours and things like that, or the old me, on top of the fact that currently it seems like employers are taking advantage of the fact that we are in a technologically driven world where people are expected to answer emails immediately, right? That was not the case for when our parents had their jobs, right? They had their nine to five, they went home, and then they didn't think about work anymore. But that's not the case anymore. Yeah, there's this ongoing transformation that's happening and evolving. And I think that has a lot to do with kind of our conversation around how we identify with our work that it's harder and harder to not identify with our work or professional identity when it's intrusive. You know, even if I tell people I'm not going to check email, I still might have a notification on my phone or I still may simply have the knowledge that people have the ability to email me after hours or on weekends or whenever I'm not on shift. So hopefully this answers the question, but there's this exercise around establishing how to form those boundaries if someone realizes like, yeah, I think, I think I have to rebuild those boundaries because I'm finding myself, and this is true for some people, some people are workaholics, um, which is not a medical condition or a mental health condition, but they find themselves kind of susceptible to working. And it may be for a number of reasons. That is when I ask people, drill that down. What is the I don't want to call it a weakness, but like, what is that urge? Where does that come from? You know me, I call it kryptonite. So the kryptonite is like, what's getting in your way? Like what's, ah, like what's impacting you? What's keeping you from getting the rest and restoration you need? Because you keep falling into that trap. And this is a good question because it could be something different for different people. When I did this with my own work, I learned that there are a number of things. I have like all kinds of kryptonite, the green, the blue, the, all of them. Like there's all different types of ways in which things create obstacles for my ability to find balance. 
So some common ones, and this is true for me, imposter syndrome. So the idea with imposter syndrome is that like, gosh, I have to work hard and I have to keep working and be nonstop in my field because the moment that I step out or rest, I worry that someone will gatekeep. I worry that maybe I'll lose out on an opportunity for advancement. I worry that some part of my industry or my company or my team will keep me from advancing because they didn't believe that someone like me, i.e. a woman of color, can do this work. So some of that is completely within my psychology and some of it is real. Like that's real. I did not make that up. Women of color actually experience burnout more frequently than their white male counterparts because of the messages that we get in these different industries. So if someone's experiencing that imposter syndrome and that's what keeps pulling them into the work, the intervention's a little different. It means, you know, establish the things that you actually are good at, um, reaffirm yourself with your accomplishments. And so that's an example of kryptonite or something that might get in the way of finding this balance. So when we're talking about burnout culture and the idea of kind of addressing the issues in our life, if it's an issue for us, is there a moment that's clear or is it more gray area of when the environment is kind of doing the brunt of that as opposed to anything that you can do? Say more about that question. So like, I think it's important for us to like go inward and be like, oh, what can I do to help the situation, right? I'm not feeling good. So I clearly need to use these tools to implement into my daily life. And then you do that. And at what point do you kind of also look at the other side of what, like you were saying, what you can't control? And I'm wondering, like, are there clear signs of the workplace environment being like unbudgeable to try to create like a better environment for you that doesn't create burnout culture? Yeah, really lovely said, because what I tell people a lot, a lot is like, look, self-care is not going to get you out of burnout. There's no type of self-care that's going to heal a toxic work environment. So I really, I'm kind of like annoyed almost with the self-care movement, especially for women that like, well, as long as you're putting your candles, lighting your candles and taking your baths and like getting your nails done, like, okay, great. That feels good, but that's not going to make this toxicity go away. That's not permanent. And it further emphasizes and perpetuates the idea that if women look good on the outside, that we must feel good on the inside. And that's a tough thing to challenge, right? Those are the messages around this kind of self-care movement that, oh God, I hate it so much because it's not true. Yes, we should pamper ourselves. Like, yes, please uh, treat yourself. But Steph is mentioning the deeper work that has to be done. Is this a job I need to walk away from? Is this a supervisor I need to report is this a kind of industry that is harmful to me? Are there things I'm doing on my job or at my job that don't align with my values? Am I participating in something I'm not cool with? And I mean, that, that can happen to a lot of people. One of my clients was a vegan company and I loved working with them. They taught me so much about humane eating and those employees had faced a lot when they went on their different international visits to facilities and farms and places. And they saw a lot of, a lot of gruesome things, but it's a part of their job. And so I bring that up because 
that job, it's only right for a certain type of mindset, a certain psychology, someone who is so true to their values, their lived experience is really a part of that work. And despite the trauma and challenges that they face, they feel really purposeful. They're able to kind of balance the hardship and the pain with restorative justice, with healing, with this idea they can you know, really make a difference. Um, so I think about them when I consider this idea of like a work match or a professional match. Sometimes we do need to consider that and step out. Is it okay to dislike your job? Yeah. <laughs> That's different than burnout, right? Like you might, some people just might not like their job. Yes and no. You know, um, we're human and we have bad days and we have bad weeks and sometimes we are dealing with a lot. I would try to dig deeper with somebody who doesn't like their job. Like what is it about the job they don't like? Do they not like their team? Do they not like their coworkers? Do they not like the actual work that's being done? Is it stress? Is there something else? Is it the commute? You know, what, what is it specifically? And absolutely. Again, we kind of, we, we have this interesting work culture that you must have this highly significant connection to your work. I mean, a lot of times when we meet somebody, we say, you know, you know, how are you? And then usually the second question is like, what do you do for a living? That's how we characterize people. What do you do? How do you make money? How do you sustain? And there's this like inherent identity connected to that. And it doesn't always have to be the case. I love the the girls are asking these questions and also what you just said, Drea, because I'm very interested in the identity concept as well as the generational differences in work culture from, you know, our parents versus Gen Z, because I actually hate that question <laughs> because I understand that it's small talk and people are trying to, you know, just get to know you. But I hate asking it because I don't want to identify somebody by what their job is, even though I like my job and I'm proud of what we do here. You know, when people are like, well, what do you do? I'm like, I just try to be happy. You know, and people think it's silly, but, you know, that's where I'm, I guess, where I'm putting my own boundaries. But I'm curious as to do you see that changing in your field? Like when you work with clients of different generations, like do you, do you see a shift happening from, you know, back in the 80s, 70s to now with that same type of thinking? Certainly. I'd say that a lot of shifts are happening in that kind of set of work expectations one of the most important ones that I've noticed is that like my parents' generation held this belief that like you get one job and you have that job for decades and you retire. Like that's kind of what you need to do. That's your best approach towards success. It's, it's also, in my experience at least, that's the psychology around immigration to the U.S., that there's an opportunity for a lifelong career that's going to sustain you and your family and their family and so forth. And what one of the things I've seen in the shift is this actually really welcoming notion or model of not having the one job or working for the one company until they recognize you and advance you, but really diversifying your portfolio. And instead of allowing that work to define you, you are defining the kind of worker you are. And maybe that means doing multiple jobs. Maybe that means designing your own career. Maybe that means working for a company or organization for short periods of time and then moving on to the next company or organization. And that is 
I said it's welcoming or it's promising because it allows us to diversify our skill sets and it allows us to continue to feel that this feeling of accomplishment and achievement, which is really good for our burnout reduction. One kind of burnout is called under-challenged burnout. And under-challenged burnout is basically like, it's so monotonous. It's so chronically similar each day that I don't feel like I'm growing. And if you don't feel like you're growing, that stress that you might be experiencing continues to compound and develop. And that's where that cynicism comes up. You know, am I really adding any value here? Those questions, those distortions come up. So this newer concept of diversifying portfolios, switching fields, using multidisciplinary mindsets for our work, those strategies will increase satisfaction, achievement, happiness. Those are the kinds of things that I see younger generations really kind of designing and innovating. And that's super exciting. Talking about the younger generations, I I think that they're so, they rock. Like there's so many cool things that they're questioning about the way we do our day-to-day lives and changing for what's best for us. But I do think that there's a subsection that is a little worrisome. I was watching just a clip of the D'Amelio show. It was like on Hulu and it's two sisters who are wildly TikTok famous and they have like this reality TV show following the family. And both of the girls talked heavily about how they had were dealing with serious issues of depression and anxiety. And they would become even suicidal because they would look at the comments and they kept looking at the comments. And then they were like, well, I have to keep working. Like, this is my job. I have to keep doing it. And like watching it, I was like, social media is in a lot of ways a choice. And I do get that it's intertwined with a lot of our jobs. But at what point do your loved ones, is there some response? I don't know. Like, I just felt like there was something that should have been done. It was just like weird. I guess I'm asking like, what would you do if you had a friend or a family member in that situation? Is there some sort of intervention that should be done? I'd say that above and beyond any kind of platform or medium, anytime the work creates a sense of suicidality or depression or any kind of chronic illness, like that's a serious thing. That can happen in a bunch of different professional places and fields. There's two areas of literature I kind of want to combine in my answer here. You know, when we are in service to others, i.e. you're a health worker, you're you're any kind of like server, you're involved with the satisfaction of customers or of clients, consumers, you are putting yourselves in in the type of work that relies on how well you're serving them. And that creates a relationship or a dynamic that can have some pitfalls. Your best work is how somebody else evaluates you or how happy someone else is or how satisfied someone else is. And that can take a toll. Um, And the other piece of literature is around social media, which is that a lot of people can fuel a loss of or decreased sense of uh, self-worth, suicidality, and depression because of the kinds of interactions that they might have on social media. In most extreme examples, sometimes I advise people to take time off of that, to lessen their relationship with with that work, especially if they're internalizing those kinds of interactions or responses. I'm never going to be the kind of person that says, you know, we should like critically examine and, and get rid of these platforms because 
these are ways in which we're transforming the professional landscape. But I do think that we should deeply examine those examples where those kinds of negative toxic interactions really do impact our mental health. I mean, look, we're hopefully Drea wants to come back and we can do a whole episode on social media because goddamn. <laughs> Absolutely. While we're in this episode, though, I do have several more things that I feel like I need to know, including something as we're talking about different generations. This took media by storm when Kim K said people just don't want to work anymore. Drea, is there any validity to that statement? Do you feel like any portion of what's going on is that people don't want to work? I would reframe that to like maybe create a statement that's people don't want to work where they're undervalued. And when we return a little bit to that hustle culture, what's still true and what's still clear about our work culture is that there are these expectations, especially in some fields, that deepening our discomfort, our sadness, our stress is just fine as long as we get the work done. In other words, there are still some jobs and some industries where they do not care how you feel. They don't, do not think they're responsible for your mental health. They want you to get the job done. And there's some truth to the idea that people don't want to work. They don't want to work in conditions where they aren't valued. They don't want to work in conditions where they are abused. They don't want to work in conditions where they're taken advantage of. And what we saw uh, during the pandemic, which was called the great resignation, but I like to call it the great reexamination, is like, what are the working conditions that I want to be a part of, that I want to perpetuate, that I want to participate in? And we have to make these like really intentional moves and decisions to step out of toxic work environments. The idea that, well, you need to do the work because that's your job. So you need to go above and beyond. You need to work after hours. You need to work without overtime and neglect your family and your pets and your friends and your personal health because the job is first. That's what we're really trying to dismantle. Hell yeah. No more shitting in uh, bags for Amazon warehouse workers. That's right. <laughs> well, on, on that note, I think that not everybody who understands that they're experiencing burnout has the luxury of quitting that day. There are many people who are not in a position in which they can quit their jobs. I would say the majority of people are not in that position. So when you're looking for Band-Aids, not surgery, and what I mean by that is you're still figuring out your exit strategy, you're lining up interviews for the next place, you know you need to get out of the position you're currently in. Do you have any Band-Aid solutions for people or tips that they can do while they're still experiencing burnout that might be helpful for them until they get to that next big step? Excellent. Yeah, let me just say a few things because your comment about what people have the luxury or privilege to do around their work is like really important. The idea that, well, if you don't like your job, just get another one is really misleading and I think can kind of show its cards. Like someone who says that is probably in a privileged place and doesn't understand that people hold one, two, maybe even more jobs because they're surviving. They're trying to sustain their cost of living and their, you know, everyday uh, existence. So it's not okay to say like, well, if you don't like your job, or if you feel burnt out, just quit your job and get another one. 
one of the things that I recommend first is like, kind of look at what you can do right away. You know, you mentioned the Band-Aid, like what are these immediate things you can do for your health consciousness that work and work in the more immediate sense? And this is not going to surprise anyone, but those basic needs right now are really important. Are you getting enough sleep at night? Are you eating nutritious meals? Are you moving your body? Are you exercising? Are you getting social support? Those are the things that are examined first, because if those things aren't happening, then that higher level of intervention really isn't sustainable because this everyday work toward your physical and mental well-being is really key. So when someone tells me this happens a lot, a person will say to me um, who's asking for help, you know, I think I have, I think I'm burnt out or I think I have ADHD or, you know, I can't focus. I'm like really in trouble. And then we examine their sleeping patterns and it's like, no, mama, you're like, you've got no sleep. Like you've not been sleeping for the past several weeks. It's not okay to get three hours of sleep. What is causing that, right? So this deeper dive into like your basic needs and what is interfering with those basic needs is kind of the first step. Those are hopefully achievable band-aids. Once you have those reliable foundations around your health, then you can start examining like, okay, I can't quit this job, but how do I how do I improve my state of mental health or how do I improve the situation that I'm in getting back to the, the idea that maybe, maybe the road that I'm on is really rough, right? So like if we think about our self-care or our health patterns as a vehicle, like my body's a vehicle. And so every once in a while I get a tune up and make sure that the air is in the tires and, you know, I have windshield wipers and all that. But I could have the best car. I could have like the most luxurious, up-to-date, right-off-the-lot car. But if that road is rough and there's potholes and there's like just, you know, no place for me to drive safely, that's not on me, right? That's on the the job. That's going back to that, like, that's the job landscape. That's the environment that I really need to turn that intervention into. And so that's that kind of like longer-term examination of what conversations do I need to have with my employer, with my therapist, with my family, what are the long-term safe ways to transition maybe within the work, within the industry, but not within this current position that is probably slowly killing me. That's the reality we have to face. There was a term you used earlier called quiet quitting. And I know right now we're talking about how not everybody has the luxury of quitting, but I think sometimes people get so fed up and or so short-sighted that they decide to quit even if they don't have the tools implemented to survive. What is quiet quitting and what are your suggestions when it comes to quitting a company that you didn't fit with? So quiet quitting is a term that's popping up in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, NPR, like there's all these articles about it. And it's essentially this movement where people are deciding in a very intentional way to only do the work that is required from their job description. In other words, doing the work to get the work done, not to go above and beyond, not to work outside of their expected portfolio, and to kind of, you know, let go of this idea that you have to like be overly enthusiastic, overly volunteering, overly enmeshed in your work. It's kind of that clock in, clock out mentality. Just do what needs to be done. You don't have to be a superstar. That's not where you're going to get your value. 
and so kind of lessen the expectations. The reason why that term quiet quitting can be kind of damaging in this conversation is that that ain't quitting. Like what part of that is you quitting? You're doing what you were hired to do. You're fulfilling exactly what you need to. Let me step back and say like some of us cannot, we can't participate in quiet quitting and I don't want to ignore this. Like, you know, if you're a short order chef or cook, if you're a surgeon, if you're an actor, like the people, not everybody can be like, I'm just going to ha- like not do the the required work from this. Like it's kind of con- a confusing term because everybody I think should be comfortable with the, the idea that you're doing the work that that is expected in this role. But what has become a higher and higher threshold is like being a superstar and going above and beyond and being the shiniest snowflake on the top of the tallest mountain, right? Like we're so exhausted from that. Um, so it comes from a really good place, but I think it lends itself to, to some kind of negative ideas about what expectations are. This isn't quitting at all. This is definitely not quitting. An alternate or alternative term to this is instead of saying that we're, you know, participating in quiet quitting, uh, some people are saying there's a better term for this, which is work to rule. Work to rule is almost a form of protest, which essentially inspires employees to do what is, is exactly stated in their contract or in their job description and do nothing more. And if everybody does this, then it actually slows productivity from a macro level. Like it kind of creates more realistic expectations from the community for all of us. It's such a collective liberation. Like what if we all participated in this work style and then we had more energy, time, effort, and excitement to do our side hustle, the things that like we really get a lot of enjoyment out of or or feel passionate about. Yeah, it seems like there's definitely a difference between uh, you know, you doing your job description and maybe doing a little bit more a couple of times a week, but getting paid overtime for that versus like, you know, being taken advantage of. Uh, so I, I can see why that's happening, especially with obviously the, you know, huge wealth inequality and, and giant corporations basically getting loans from the government or subsidies and firing a bunch of people. Like there's a whole other animal to talk about there. Like canceling student loan debt. How dare you? Exactly, Steph. How dare you? (laughs) So we have, uh, I'm sure, a bunch more questions, uh, Drea, but since we can only take advantage of a little bit of your time here, uh, we do have a Patreon question. If you would like to join the best community on the internet, patreon.com slash the world girls. Our question today comes from Jimmy Nails, who says, I am a do what needs to get done type at work. And I keep getting passed over for advance because I'm willing to do the garbage work. What is a healthy way to address with my boss that I know what's going on? So a couple of things first, you know, one is to return to that examination of like what is creating a lot of my stress or a lot of my chronic burnout. And, you know, I mentioned this idea of kryptonite or like what is the thing that my personal enemy, what is getting in my way? I mentioned that for me, it was imposter syndrome. There's others uh, that I didn't mention. There are different ways that that we might feel kind of uh, susceptible to working harder, working more, having to lean into our work. And I think that 
what I would, I would, so I would first look at that, which is like, okay, what is that kind of urge to do the extra work? Where is that coming from? I think that's the deeper dive. Where is that coming from? Some people are susceptible to perfectionism. And so rather than get a thing done, they'll just continue to work at it and work at it until it's perfect. And in many, many places, it's just that it needs to get done. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent perfect. Sometimes what is getting in our way is what happens when we're not working. So for some of us, we have something called rest guilt and rest guilt is the moment we're not in the hustle. We're suddenly like alone with our thoughts and we're not in service to other people. And when we're not in service to other people, some real thoughts happen like, oh, am I allowed to rest? Resting feels uncomfortable. I have, you know, some thoughts and, and intrusions coming in about taking time to care for me and only be in service to me. But I can't do that because there's all these different intrusions. So examine that. Where does that come from? Specifically, this idea of doing the garbage work. What is the garbage work? Does it have some value? Like maybe it's about reframing. There's two things I'd say to this. One is reframing that garbage work. Is it actually not garbage, but does it actually have some significance to how we get to these, this industry's outcomes? I'm not sure what garbage work actually means in this question, but I hope to reframe that because as long as we're considering it garbage work and we're doing that work, we're kind of considering ourselves a part of that garbage. So where, you know, how do we reframe that? Hopefully we'll land in a place where we feel like it's really not garbage. It's maybe it's menial or tedious, but it has some place in how we get this job done. But lastly, I think what's really critical here is if this person truly feels like they're doing work outside of their role that isn't really advancing their experiences or their position there, then it's that tough conversation with like, you know, a supervisor or team member or even uh, a counselor at the company. Many companies have EAPs, employee assistance programs, where you can access a counselor and kind of drill down, you know, why am I doing this work? What is the expectation around this company for me doing this work? And if it's really not a part of my job, we need to reassign this to whoever is responsible, truly paid to do this work. We must pay everyone for all the work, right? So sometimes people will, will approach me and want to volunteer themselves or tell me I'll do anything. I'll enter data, whatever. And my philosophy is you must get paid for all your work. All the work must be paid work. And hopefully this work that Jimmy's asking about is paid work. That was a great answer. Thank you, Drea. So Last time you were here, uh, we uh, did our little segment with you called Pros and Cons. I'm not sure if you have any pros about burnout and hustle culture, but we'd love to hear your thoughts if you do have any pros and cons. Pros. I think that what helps me sleep at night is knowing how powerful our frame of mind is. Um, so for anyone feeling stuck or desperate or just really down about their job, how we frame ourselves in that job is really critical to our mental health. The power of our mentality is really, really huge. The cunt of all this, I'd say, is the self-care movement. 
I hate wellness professionals who teach us to make our bodies perfect and teach us that that drive or, or that goal is somehow going to solve our mental health problems. And that's not real. So that really kind of gets in the way of these, these more uh, effective interventions. Dr. Drea, I feel so fucking enlightened every time you come visit us. Just amazing advice. The best. We are very grateful to have our Dr. Drea here. It is very helpful. I'm not exaggerating. It, it really is special to be a part of this discussion. And it's important for me to reach people who may not uh, be in places or spaces where they can have these conversations comfortably. So thank you for creating space for that and for also honoring that this is not like a one and done uh, kind of a conversation that we need to work on this every day. And I appreciate all of your amazing questions and for having this conversation with me. Well, thank you again so much for your incredible wisdom uh, and uh, sharing your experience with us and time. Uh, I would love it if you could please tell our audience uh, where they can find you. Absolutely. You can find most of my work on my website, drdreapsychology.com. Also, if you like these topics or if you're interested in mental health, I host a podcast called The Arkham Sessions. So I invite people to check out the podcast. There you go. Go find her because she is a wise one. I think Yoda should follow her. Follow her, I will. Mm, there it is. I'm so glad that Rox Roxy's Yoda made it into our podcast. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being a bitch out of water with us and learning about healthy and toxic work culture. We appreciate you listening. If you want to be the first to get all things World Girls, go to patreon.com slash the World Girls. That way you can watch our podcast tapings live and look at how beautiful Dr. Drea's mermaid hair looks. Uh, you can ask questions. You can video chat with us as well. We go live on youtube.com slash the world girls every Wednesday and Sunday. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter and TikTok at the world girls and on Instagram at world girls WAP. We are new here. So tell your friends about us. Please rate, comment, subscribe. We are all going to die. So try not to kill yourself on the job. Don't be a dick and stay wet, my friends. 